It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, welcome to Rico Bronia. No pleasantries, no how are you, because we all suck right now. This team sucks, this offense sucks. Uh, never in my wildest negative fantasies did I think they would get embarrassed and swept by the Chicago Cubs. And I have tried all year long, I think because of this team and how they've played, I've tried to remain positive and I've tried to remain with an even keel. But after you watch this dog crap performance over three days against garbage pitching, that's the thing that I fume the most about. They got shut down by crap pitching. It started from day one. It continued in day three. I'm not even going to spend that much time bitching about David Peterson because here's the truth. As bad as David Peterson was walking the first three batters, giving up the RBI double, giving up another RBI double, the Met bullpen, which has been much maligned, we've ripped the Met bullpen all year, did a tremendous job of keeping them in the game. And quite frankly, when you're facing Drew Smiley and Eric Yulman, whoever the hell that is, and Rowan Wick and Michael Rucker and Mark Leiter's son, Mark Leiter Jr., how the hell do you score three runs? Someone's got to explain that one to me. So this entire series from beginning to end, it's not about Chris Bassett crapping the betting game one. It's not about David Peterson really proving over his last few starts. He don't belong here anymore. It's not even about that. It's about the fact that somehow this lineup, top to bottom, other than a couple of meaningless home runs late, which they made an art form of this week, this lineup got shut down by crap pitching. And when they got beat by the Nationals two weeks ago, I remained calm because I was being rational. I was looking at the fact that, hey, they finally lost a series to a bad team. It was bound to happen. But what we've watched over the last week, that's not bound to happen. You should not be losing to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, they won two out of three. Shut up. That first game was a joke. They won two out of three against the Marlins. Give me a break. The first game, why not win all of these games? Why not beat them all? And then what has happened over the last three days in front of putrid crowds, I mean, I'll be honest about that. I'm not going to spend that much time bashing Met fans, but what the hell kind of crowds were that the last three nights? Horrible crowds, but whatever. You guys were smart for not going. I was the schmuck going there for two out of three games to watch this. But from top to bottom, this offense sucked. You want to name the culprits? I'll name all of them. Let's start with Brandon Nimmo. I don't understand why I made this comment uh, before the opener of this series to my dad, before Brandon Nimmo did a damn thing. Because he hit on the road, remember? It got hot on the road. Had a big Sunday. Great. yippity doo da. I say to my dad, How come this guy can't hit at home? What's the deal with that? How come the splits are so, he's a better road player than he is a home player. How come? My dad's like, ah, it's probably just a coincidence. Then he walks in a city field for three days and does nothing. In big spots like the seventh inning of the finale of this series. Two on, two out, and he taps one six feet in front of the mound. He's swinging in mid. Oh, but he's giving you long at-bats. Give me, oh, great. He's giving us long at-bats. He's not producing. Brandon Nimmo did nothing in this series. Other than a meaningless home run by Lindor, nothing in this series. Mark Vientos looks overmatched by Major League Pitching. 
Darren Ruff finally had a hit. Let's have a celebration. Daniel Vogelbach's just a fat guy. It's all he is right now. Top to bottom, this offense has sucked. And I'd love to tell you, don't worry. It's going to get better. Don't worry. It's going to turn around. But I think tonight and this morning, my old Met DNA is coming out. All of our Met DNA is coming out. Panic City is coming out. Collapses of 07 and 08 are coming out. Because what are you supposed to say over the last week and a half? This was supposed to be the stretch of games where you were supposed to beat up on bad teams. 16 games against horrific opponents. Well, they've played 12 of them, and they're 5-7. Five 5-7! And seven. Five and seven. Even if they sweep the Pirates, which I wouldn't have any confidence in, we'd be disappointed with 9-7. and seven. And thanks to the grace of the baseball gods, the Atlanta Braves have finally cooled off. That's great. I'm thrilled. Because if they hadn't cooled off, this team would be three games out in this division. And I think we'd be declaring it over. And and truthfully, the only reason we're not declaring it over is because the Braves finally did get slowed down. So despite this garbage we've watched, the Mets are essentially tied for first place. And that's where they are. They're not a half game up. They're tied for first place. But I can't rely on the Atlanta Braves to continue to struggle and look the Braves you could even give them an excuse it was on the road it was against quality opponents so they've actually struggled against all year long if we're being honest and the Braves were bound to cool off they were bound to have a stretch of games where they struggled this was not bound to happen for the Mets I mean just pathetic from top to bottom pathetic So if you're looking for positivity, maybe by the end of the podcast, I'll convince myself to be positive. But right now, why would I be positive? What am I going to give you on? Based on what they did in April and May and June and July and maybe the Dodgers series, which feels like six months ago now. I'm looking at what we've watched recently, and I know the cliche. And it's a true cliche. You're never as bad as you are when you're doing badly. You're never as good as you are when you're playing well. I think the Yankees have been the absolute proof of that in 2022. Because when they've been bad, oh, they're terrible. When they've been good, they're the 98 Yankees. We have not experienced a year like that. Because the Mets' model in 2022 has been consistency. There hasn't even been an amazing stretch, really. It's been mostly good. Win series, good, move along. Win a series, move along. There hasn't been extreme stretches. Against these opponents, this is an extreme stretch. And I don't know what to do with myself. Because the DNA in me, the DNA in Hoff is going to tell us the end is near. Not that they're going to miss the playoffs, and I'm missing the playoffs. But it would feel like not winning this division, especially because of who they're losing to, it would feel like a collapse. Now, look, game one wild card series will all be pumped up and ready to go. But a massive, massive disappointment. And then the other thing that's happening is we're losing the trust in this team. I've maintained the trust. Ah, I trust this team. They've earned that from us. Well, they're losing it. They banked in a lot of trust. And over the last, really the last three days against the Cubs, because as disappointing as winning two out of three was against Miami and two out of three against Pittsburgh was, they still won the series. You could at least walk away as disappointing as it was and it was losing the opener of both of those series. Ah, they won a series, you move on. They just got swept. By the Chicago Cubs. 
Look at this rotation they just got beat down by. Javier Assad. They can't touch Javier Assad. They can't touch Adrian Sampson. I know Drew Smiley is a quality major leaguer. I don't want to pick on him necessarily. But how about the bullpen tonight? Or in game three, whenever you're listening. I'm recording this right after the game. That's probably why I'm extra angry. Look at this bullpen you got shut down by. How many goddamn double plays did they ground into over the last week? How many times? That Lindor one, mate, just drove me nuts. Eighth inning, you're creeping back into the game. You get a leadoff hit by Mark Hanna. I don't know. Maybe you'll hit Michael Mother Rucker. And instead, Lindor bounces into a double play. The hell is this garbage? How you feeling, Pete? You feeling all right? You all right over there? Uh, I, I'm not feeling great. I'm not going to lie, but I'm not as down as you are. I won't. I won't. And you know why? Because I read a stat that it gives me some hope. Mets are the only team in the divisional era, 1969, to get swept at home while 35 plus games over 500 against a team 20 plus games under 500. Now he, that's not great. Last team to suffer such a sweep, Detroit Tigers, in the final three games of the 1968 regular season, <laughs> and they won the World Series. Bingo. Let's go. Uh, and that's geez. how we the, make it positive. positive that I had tonight, and I think they mentioned it on the broadcast, was, hey, the last time they gave up six runs in the first inning was against the Pirates, and they came back and won. Listen, I, I, I'm going to say this, and I, I put the stat out there, and no, whatever, no one gave a crap. That first inning reminded me of, and it's not as big, of a situation because it wasn't the last game of the season, but it felt like the Tom Glavin game of 2007, yeah. one, game 162, and we just sh- crapped the bed. Now, the good thing is there's Look, you still know what's funny about the first inning, and this may be surprising, but obviously David Peterson was just, it was a tooth extraction, as Beningo would say. 3-2 count, walk. 3-2 count, walk. 3-2 count, walk. 3-2 count, ooh, strikeout. Maybe David Peterson's going to find a way. Then he gives up the double to your best friend, Jan Gomes. Then he gives up another double to P.J. Higgins. When the inning finally ended, and look, Trevor Williams came in and actually didn't do a good job right away. He eventually got out of it and pitched well and settled in. But when they were down 6 nothing, and I was behind in the game because like every game I'm not at, I was at the first two games of this series. I was not at the finale because I wanted to record the Rico Bronia right after the game. Or I need a break. Maybe that was it. Or maybe my wife needed a break from me going to games. But I thought to myself, as disgusted as I was, and I was more in shock than anything. I was stunned. I think anytime you watch a baseball game and your team gives up six runs in the first inning, there's a state of shock that you're in. I actually thought to myself sort of confidently, this is the game they break out in. Like, this would have been the perfect game to break out in. You're down 6 nothing. We're all depressed. We're all on it dead. And they're going to come out and they're going to rally. And what I needed to see was they needed a run in the first inning. Not two runs, not five runs, not all six runs. They needed a run. Because if you remember that game against the Pirates, the comeback that they made a year ago, I think they scored two runs right out of the gate. Something like that. If you're going to be down early, it's a nine-inning game. You can come back. Trevor Williams, for the most part, has been real good. And he turned out to be real good keeping them in the game. But you can come back. 
and we know that the Met offense can explode at any moment. It did over the weekend against the Marlins. It did during the doubleheader game two against the Pirates. Like, it's capable of it, then it's capable of doing nothing. So I did sort of think, hey, this is the game they're going to break out in. But when they went down meekly, one, two, three in the first inning, even though Nimmo had a long at-bat, we should have a celebration. That, my confidence went from, I feel good to, oh, Jesus Christ, they really? They're going to get shut down again? And they got shut down in the second inning. And the Cubs, to their credit, made some great defensive plays. Christopher Morale, the shortstop, made a couple of outstanding plays, including that one Alonzo hit that went off the pitcher, bounced towards shortstop. Morale makes a great play. Tomas Nito hits a home run. All right, 6-1. to one. Bullpen's keeping it close. You have a chance to come back. And then they do nothing. They get a leadoff man out in the fourth inning. Okay, it's 6-1. to one. It's only the fourth inning. This game isn't over-over, especially as you see that the bullpen's keeping him in it. And they do nothing. They waste Lindor on first base. Another terrible sign, because you got to chip away. You're down 6 nothing, 7 nothing, 8 nothing in a game. It's not over, but you got to chip away. And you got to take advantage of the opportunities. And then the killer was the fifth inning. And you're all going to think I'm nuts. And I totally get it. It's the ultimate Monday morning quarterbacking. When they got the first two guys on in the fifth inning, and they're down 6-1, to one, and Tomas Nito's up, and you got the top of the order coming up, I was thinking about laying down a bunt. And I know it's not the good baseball move because you're down by five runs, but the reason I thought about it is because Tomas Nito is a walking double play. He is. And the first freaking pitch is a ground ball to shortstop. Now, I admit, bunting is not a good baseball play. You're down by five runs. You can't give an out up. I'm not saying you really should have done it. I'm saying the thought went through my head because I know Tomas Nito's a walking double play. And the last thing I wanted as the Mets are beginning a rally with the top of the order coming up was the rally to be completely short-circuited. And the one thing that could do that is a double play. So again, not saying they should have bunted. It's not a good baseball play, but it crossed my mind. And then they get lucky. Think about it. They score the second run. Brandon Nimmo, it's a ground ball to third base. Patrick Wisdom just can't make the play. That's their way of chipping away. Oh, but they're given a free base runner. They're given an extra out. They don't take advantage of it. They go down meekly in the sixth. They put together a little rally in the seventh and a couple of guys on base. Nimmo taps out. Lindor grounds into a double play when they get the leadoff man on. If you really think about this game, they had so many chances. They could have won this game, the finale of this series. Because this bullpen, which... I got to give credit to going back to the opener of this series for the most part with Chris Bassett on the mat, and he was terrible. Look what they did in the opener of this series. Tommy Hunter got four outs. Trevor May got three outs. Michael Givens got six outs. Even Joelle got three outs. They're down 5 nothing in the fourth inning in the opener of this series. And their bullpen, after Chris Bassett had a bad performance, very disappointing, but I guess you could rationalize he was due to have one. Their bullpen kept them in the game. Their bullpen was awesome in this series. Let's call it like it is. Other than Seth Lugo getting up that really odd home run in game two of this series, a ball that I thought had no chance of going out. Outside of that, the bullpen pitched, if my math is correct, 19 innings over these three games. And you know how many runs they allowed? One. One. That's why... Chris Bassett sucked in game one. No argument. Jacob DeGrom, for his standard, was mediocre in game two. No argument. 
Obviously, David Peterson was an embarrassment, as Hoff said, a Glavin-like performance. No doubt. No excuse. I'm sorry. It's no. They didn't lose this series because of Chris Bassett. They didn't lose this series because of David Peterson. And they didn't lose this series because DeGrom was average. They lost this series because they couldn't hit. They could have won game one. You're telling me you can't score more than five runs against Javier Assad, Mark Leiter, Manuel Rodriguez, and Brandon Hughes? Really? And you go back to the opener of this series. You have the bases loaded and nobody out down five to one in the eighth. And City Field, very few people that were actually there, was rocking, was moving. And Canna, it's tough to kill. He's at his big moment, strikes out. But you know who I can kill? Darren Ruff, who came up with two outs and flied out. So here's what's difficult. I've spent 15 minutes bitching about this offense. But I always like to offer solutions. And the problem is, there really isn't a solution. I'm sorry. We all wanted Mark Vientos here. Mark Vientos is here. He hasn't gotten a hit yet. Mark Vientos batted fifth in the finale of this series. Protecting Pete Alonso. He didn't do anything. So we wanted Vientos. We got Vientos. We got that. What are we going to do now? Call for Francisco Alvarez now that he's healthy? Is that what we're going to do? Is that our desperate plea? We've seen Buck make some changes to the lineup, mainly because he's forced to. Starling Marte being out has turned out to be a real killer. (laughs) I'll tell you, Starling Marte may have wrapped up Mets team MVP based on this recent stretch. But you can change the lineup, and that's fine. I don't think it makes a difference. You You need guys to perform. And I think that's what's sort of complicated about this. Maybe it's not the greatest sports talk radio topic. There's no elixir other than guys have to play better. There's no guy to call up. They've done that. There's no obvious lineup change that makes sense. There isn't. And if you think that changes the luck of this offense or changes this offense, you're naive. It's not going to change the offense. What's going to change the offense is guys getting their heads out of their ass and starting to hit. That's it. It's as simple as that. They're feeling the heat. I remember Luis Rojas said last year, yeah, guys feel it. Guys feel the pressure. Well, the Mets feel the pressure right now. And maybe long-term this is a good thing that they're feeling it now, that they're feeling it in September and not October, because there's going to be an October. I don't know how long October's going to last, but there's going to be an October. This is a playoff team. This is a team that's going to host game one of a series. Whether it's the divisional series or the wild card series, we'll find out. But I don't believe, unless you have one, Pete, that there's some kind of magic trick Buck Showalter needs to play other than guys have to perform better. Uh, The one thing that some people I saw were trying to push now, which is outrageous, I I don't see... Dom Smith's not hitting. Dom Smith coming back to this team. He's hit it. I thought he was. Oh, that's someone said that he was bad. That's in, amazing in 277 now. Two seventy seven in Syracuse, and we're like, oh my god, bring Dom back. 
when you're what but when you're but 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 Evan though to be fair Darren we just went through how Darren Ruff is a waste of time Vogelbach hasn't had anything since the first week we're going up and down the slide listen the actually the best part about the team now has been <laughs> the catching situation because McCann's not batting over 200 and Nino, Nino's, uh, Nino's got like what two home runs in the past three or four games I mean that's that's the only offense we have it's that's it so it's like you need to find a spark plug it's it's you're right there's not many options I don't want Dom Smith, but that's what people are. That's what some people have been throwing out there. But again, is that going to be enough? Yeah, I mean, Dom Smith enough. It's it's really not. We know the. Answer. I have nothing against Dom Smith, and I'm very surprised that Dom Smith has kind of gotten stuck in AAA. It's certainly not something I expected to happen to him. You want to call him up and bench Daniel Vogelbach? Is that is that really what we think is going to fix this offense? Is that going to fix the fact that Brandon Nimmo can't hit at City Field? I. Look, I'm, let me let me see how Dom's been doing recently. Let's see. Uh, three for four with a home run. Okay. 0 for four. That's not good. Two for four with a home run. 0 for two. 0 for three. 0 for five. Two for four with a home run. One for four. 0 for two. One for five. Two. I mean, it, looks, it looks okay. Looks like he's hitting for some pop, which is nice to see guy couldn't hit a home run when he was a Met. I, the, the one thing I'll give credibility to that with is Vogelbach is a mess right now. And I think what, what's very difficult, and it's not about that you traded for guys. It's not about, oh, we gave players up for these guys. You can't think that way. And I don't think Buck needs to think that way. I think Buck ultimately gets to make these decisions. I don't think he's being told by Billy Epler who to play or not. I think Buck Showalter decides, I'm going to play this guy. At what point? And I'm there with Darren Ruff. I, I'm getting close with Daniel Vogelbach. When do you get to the point of, okay, this guy's unplayable. When do you get there? Uh, right now, I think one of the options, because Tyler Naquin has also been a strikeout machine at times. One of the options is you could DH Eduardo Escobar, play Guillerme at third, McNeil at second, Naquin in right. That's an option. Against lefties, obviously Dom Smith isn't solving anything. I think the option against lefties, unfortunately, is what you saw in the finale of this series, which is Darren Ruff plays right, and Mark Vientos is the DH. Because Terrence Gore is not going to play. So what are your options? There aren't great options. Now, Francisco Alvarez and Dom Smith, you want to retry the lefty-righty DH and call up Dom to face righties and call up Alvarez to face lefties? I don't know. Look... I don't want to crap on any idea because right now when you're sucking like this, who the hell am I or anybody to say that's a terrible, there is no terrible idea. This offense is terrible. I just don't think Dom Smith or calling up Alvarez right now is necessarily a thing that's going to fix it. What's going to fix it is your best players need to perform at a higher level. Lindor can't be bouncing into double plays in a big spot. That's, that's what has to happen. And I don't know if that changes because you call up a quadruple-A player and say, oh, let's try the magic with Dom Smith again. I just don't think it changes it. It's nice to see Dom's somewhat performing well. In his last seven days, he's hitting 263 with a 979 OPS for the last month. That's a good sample size. 291, four home runs, 17 RBIs, 863 OPS. Okay, not bad. Great. Mark Vientos was tearing up. Tearing up pitching down there, too. Now, one thing about Vientos I've always heard is he's a slow starter, which is not good timing-wise, because when does that slow start end? Because they sort of need him to produce now. 
They need him to start going now. And it's just not happening. They need their guys to perform. That's what it comes down to. They need their guys to hit. Now, coming up against the Pirates, it's going to be the same thing. You're facing pitching that's not that good. And you're facing all righties. So every decision on this lineup needs to be around, hey, you're facing a team that's going to throw four right-handed starters at you. So the Dom Smith option is certainly more discussable than what do you do against lefties, the Darren Ruff and Wright, uh, Vientos at DH thing, because they ain't going to be facing many lefties over the next four days. I think right now my gut is he's going to continue to run out Daniel Vogelbach, hoping that he's going to get hot. Because remember, Vogelbach and Ruff, when they first got here, played well. They got off to good starts. And with Vogelbach, you can look at the hamstring and say, hey, that's probably affecting him. With Ruff, I don't know what the hell it is. (laughs) I don't know if there's an answer to that on what's bothering him. But here's the other thing, and I enjoyed it because it helped the Mets. But how about J.D. Davis comes through with a big hit for the Giants? J.D. Davis, I think, has hit more home runs with the Giants than Vogelbach and Ruff have hit with the Mets combined. Now, sometimes when you give up on a player that most of us agree it's time to move on from, it's tough to then bitch when they produce. Travis Darno is a great example. Everybody was done with Travis Darno. Everybody was done with him. Everybody was done with Angel Pagan. Everybody was done with him. When those guys then go somewhere else and produce, it's tough to get nuts about, ah, can you believe the Mets did that? Can you believe they did that? Look, the criticism around the deadline was, were those two guys enough? And I remember saying this to you, Hoff, while I liked the moves, and I did, and I liked them because I laid out the numbers. Vogelbach rips up righties, Ruff rips up lefties. This was all going to be decided based on production. How do they produce? They haven't. On the other side, the Met bullpens pitched well. The thing that scared us the most. Now, will it ultimately burn them in a big spot? We'll see. I'm still nervous about that, but I've got to be fair. Michael Givens, for the most part, in big spots, has pitched really well. His bad performance as a Met, the first game against the Nationals, and then there was one other implosion he had, were both in blowouts. Michael Givens, when asked to get big outs, For the most part, I think he gave up a big hit to the Rockies in a game that they eventually won. That's just jumping out at me. He gave up that bases clearing hit, and then they came back. Alonzo hit a home run. They won anyway. But for the most part, Michael Givens has pitched well. So our report card on that trade is, yeah, not bad. B minus, B plus, whatever you want to call it. Our report card based on results, not based on what those guys did elsewhere, which certainly sold me, they're F's. Is that they're, they're F's. Now, we could sit here bitching about it, but the truth is, there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> the trades were made, and that's it. And another thing, too, because this is something I'm, I'm fighting about now because I keep on hearing, the Mets need a big bat, the Mets need a big bat. Give me, besides Juan Soto and Bell, who went to San Diego, who were never coming to New York, what other big bat was traded? There were none. I'm sorry. You look around the league. No one really. Benintendi? That wasn't a big bat. It was It was a good piece to the Yankees. They needed that. Yeah. But that wasn't a big bat. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's, the, that's the frustrating thing. Those type of players. A they lot didn't of move. the guys that we targeted or said, hey, this guy would be a great fit, were never traded. You know, Wilson Contreras, who I thought was a great fit in terms of 
He's the right-handed DH, plus he can catch, so he can kind of give you both. Guy wasn't traded. Now, sometimes it's tough to get frustrated when a deal wasn't made for a guy that never got moved, was never traded. But the thing about the trade deadline is that's something we look at, to me, after the season, when we're judging how Billy Epler did. Did he do enough? Right now, it serves no purpose. Right now, I'm all about, okay, it's September 14th, September 15th. What's next? Not Billy Epler should have done that a month and a half ago. He didn't do it. And ultimately, we'll judge it. We'll be harsh about it. We'll be frustrated about it. But it doesn't do us any good now. What has to happen is somehow, some way, and sorry, one game doesn't do it, as we saw over the weekend against the Marlins, they just got to hit again because they're not this bad. And I remember saying this about the Yankees, obviously with less of the pain because I'm not a Yankee fan, but when the Yankees were struggling, my way of calming down Yankee fans while understanding why they were pissed was, you're not this bad. And I guess that's the positive message I will try to portray or try to convey to my fellow Met fan. We're not this bad. What's difficult, though, is to convince ourselves that this isn't our new normal. <laughs> that Yeah, they're not this bad, but they may remain this bad for a few more weeks, just enough time to blow the National League East. And, and really, that's the good news as they go into Friday, uh, Thursday's game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. The New York Mets are essentially even with the Atlanta Braves. Even. So despite being swept by the Cubs, despite how disappointing things have gone over these 12 games, it is a brand new season. You could phrase it that way. They're tied. They've got the three games in Atlanta in a couple of weeks, but before that, they take on the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Milwaukee Brewers and the Oakland A's and the Miami Marlins. For the most part, It's the same thing we've been saying for 12 days and it hasn't worked. You got to beat those teams. You got to beat them. So the good news, if you want to find any, is that despite this crap, despite this struggle, clearly playing their worst baseball of the season, being swept for the first time all year long in a three-game series, and it comes at the hands of the Chicago Cubs, it's still right there. It's still in front of us. Now, a couple of other things unrelated to the offense. Because I, I was more annoyed about this than clearly everyone else on Twitter, which I understand. And that's deciding how far to push Jacob DeGrom. If you look at the middle game of this series, Jacob DeGrom had, you know, sort of a, an odd performance, or maybe it's been a typical performance of what we've seen this year where there are times in which he looks unhittable and he looks dominant. He makes one bad pitch and the ball's at 500 feet and has really one or two bad innings. And outside of that, goes out and dominates. And that's exactly what happened in game two of this series. He gives up a bomb to Ian Happ. He runs into, I don't want to say it's bad luck, but just a really unfortunate fourth inning that included a missed call on the throw to first base in which the guy was clearly out of the base path. Uh, The unfortunate situation of a safety squeeze working and Pete Alonzo deciding to throw home, which I guess he had to do because DeGrom wasn't covering. And an inning in which there was enough contact made that the Cubs were able to score a few runs. If Jacob DeGrom is striking out Jan Gomes instead of Jan Gomes hitting the ball to right field, the Cubs score less runs. Turned out not to matter because the Mets can't score runs. 
But the bottom line was Jacob DeGrom in a bad fourth and then dominates the fifth and dominates the sixth. And it's a close game. It's 3 nothing. Now We're still kind of holding out hope the Met offense is going to wake up. And Jacob DeGrom is at 96 pitches, and the bottom of the order is coming up. And I got to tell you, I was pissed off he was taken out of the game. And I tweeted instantly, who are you mad at for this? Jake, Buck, or nobody was the right decision. And I couldn't believe that 65% of people said it was the right decision. It was the Hold on a second. I understand the Mets' struggles are all about their offense. We have spent the entire podcast so far talking about their offense. I am not a moron to know that when I'm tweeting about DeGrom being pulled, they're losing 3 nothing, Jack, Jackass. They're not scoring. I know they're not scoring runs. Like, I know that. We all know that. There can be two issues. You can discuss both of them at the same time. One is not mutually exclusive. So, yes, the Mets offense sucks. But, yeah, I need my ace going more than six innings. I'm sorry. And the question I'd have would be, first of all, is Jake saying a buck, I'm done? If that's the case, my old partner, my Saturday partner, Joe B's going to kill DeGrom. Why are you done, bro? You're a diva. If he's not done and it's Buck being careful with him, well, my question for Buck would be, when do you not be as careful? I mean, this is an important game. We don't necessarily know the Mets are not going to score a run until Lindor or Alonzo, I should say. It's a meaningless home run. We don't know that. The Mets could rally. The hell do we know? So I don't understand how 60% of the people on Twitter, when I did a little snap poll in the middle of the game, I thought that was creative, a little polling during the game. I can't understand how 60% of people said it's the right decision. It is? He just retired the last eight guys he faced. He struck out like half of them. He's at 96 pitches. The bottom of the order is coming up who couldn't touch him. And you think it's the, quote, right decision? Who are my Twitter followers? Like, who are these people? If your point and your anger is, it doesn't matter, it's about the offense, then don't vote in the poll. Because that's not what I'm asking. I didn't ask, hey, does the offense suck? Of course the offense sucks. I know that. It's really making me never want to do a poll again because it bothered me that the results were that crazy. Yeah, but you keep on putting polls at, like after every instance or every well, after every game or whatever, and it's always negative. It's never good. Yeah, you keep on putting polls up, and they're never like, are they what you expect? Every time no, you no, put no, no. out a poll, is if it I'm like, asked, what you I expect, or is it always the opposite? About, are you confident they're going to win the division? One was after they dropped out of first place last weekend. The other one was more recent. Yeah, I'm expecting neg- negativity, but this isn't about positive or negative. If anything, this is positive. If you're saying they made the right decision taking <laughs> no. the ground out after six innings, you're defending the Mets. That's a positive opinion, and I don't get it. He threw right. 90. And for anyone listening saying, why are you making a big deal of this? They didn't score any runs. I'll tell you why I'm making a big deal of it. When does it end? When they're playing on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Pirates, would your opinion be different if it was 1-1? Seriously, would your opinion be different if it was 2-0? Like, 
Would your opinion be different based on the score? Because if your view is, well, they weren't scoring anyway, then why watch the game and give up on the game? And why is Lugo and Adovino and Diaz in the game? Buck, to his credit, and I give him credit for this, managed to keep the game close, right? Which we've been critical of. Edwin Diaz came into the game in the ninth inning of a game in which they were down 4 nothing. Now, a part of it is he wants to get these guys work. I totally get it. But as we talked about last week, the other part was, hey, why not keep it close? Give your offense a chance to come back. So if your attitude is, well, they're already down 3 nothing. who cares? Then I don't know what to tell you. Stop watching the games then. I, mean, I, I don't know. You've got your effing ace on the mound. At some point, you have to let him pitch, Pete. Well, well, well. Here's the thing: is and and this is a bigger picture situation because in the playoffs, game three, game four, game five, whatever game Degrom is on the mound for, and they're in the scenario. It's the seventh inning. Are they going to? They're down three. Say if they're in that position where they're down three, nothing. Hoff, are they I don't going know. To the right there, or you're gonna, that's, that's where you start trying to push them. I'm not saying that the other night's a playoff game. I think we're starting to move closer and closer to these games being playoff games. But no, I get it. Like I think it's two and a half weeks away, or three weeks away, whatever it is. When are you going to push them? Then (laughs) when are you going to push them? And and the reason I I worded it as "Do you blame Jake?" is I know Beningo thinks it's Jake. He thinks Jake takes himself out of games, and I can't tell you one way or the other because Buck doesn't always tell us the truth. The only thing Jake said that was honest was one time he said, I don't like to start an inning if I can't finish it, which I disagree with. I mean, I don't give a crap what you want. If the Mets need to get two extra outs just because you can't get the third, you can help the team by getting those two extra outs. But did Jacob DeGrom after the sixth inning say, you know what, I'm done? Because if that's the case, my criticism doesn't go to Buck Showalter. Uh, if your pitcher is telling you he's done, you're going to take him out. Then the criticism would go to Jake saying, come on, man, you can't throw more than 96 pitches. Like Jacob DeGrom has now made eight starts since coming off the injured list. They have done everything they can in giving him extra rest, which they even did this week with Bassett on normal rest and DeGrom getting an extra day. This Sunday, he's on regular rest, which would make him less likely to be pushed. So, I'm just wondering, when does the push occur? Does it happen on Sunday against the Pirates? Does it happen next weekend against the Oakland A's? Or maybe it's the Braves. But off to your point, do you really want to push them for the first time in the postseason? Wouldn't you want to push them in the regular season first so he's used to throwing 105 or 110 pitches? I think that it's more important to try to push him now, but is there a concern that if... I mean, this is the fragility, the frailness, I guess you say, of Jacob DeGrom. He was out for over a year with an injury that... Not saying that it wasn't severe, but we just questioned, like, is this... Is it as bad? Like, why can't he get back on the mound? Why can't he start warm-ups? Why can't he do this? And is it something that it's a internal thing with Jake that he just can't push himself. I don't know. And if he does, he's worried about getting hurt. And that is something that's that's a real that's a real freaking thing which sucks because then you then you have then you're in a situation where 
That's the thing. I, I, until I don't know if that that's the case. I mean, it could very well be Bucs saying, I'm being extra protective. The guy missed virtually a year. It's only his eighth start back. I'll push him, but not yet. And if that's the answer, okay, well, when do you push him? So, look, I know that's not why they lost the game. I don't need to be told that. You don't need to be told that. They lost every game in this series because they couldn't score. Every single one of them. I'm sorry. The Bassett game, the Peterson game, the middle game with Jake. They lost because they couldn't score. You can't expect to win one nothing. And when you're facing these arms, you need to hit. And they didn't hit. But it's certainly a fair question because Jake Scott, like I said, Pittsburgh, Oakland, Atlanta. Think about that. That's it. That's three starts. There could potentially be a fourth, depending on the way this regular season plays out and if you need it. And I do think that's going to be very, very interesting if it comes down to that. If all of a sudden the regular season comes down to game 162, how hard do you push it? Like I heard on the broadcast in the finale of the series, the discussion of how hard do you try to win the division? Well, the answer is really hard. That's the answer. The answer right now is you go balls to the wall. You try to win the division. You're not going to play injured guys, obviously. Marte's got to recover. But in terms of the way you manage, you're trying to win it. Where it gets complicated, I admit this, is game 160 through 162. Because now all of a sudden, you're days away from a potential wild card series. Like, obviously, can you throw Max Scherzer in game 161 or 162 to try to win the division and then not have him for the wild card series? That seems to me careless. Like, I, I, I wouldn't do that. The only way I would do something like that is if I control my future. So I'll give you an example. And you tell me if you agree with me or not. Because you could say, no, that's too risky. Game 162. Mets and Braves are tied. First place, they're tied. Mets have the tiebreaker. It's DeGrom's day to pitch. Do you pitch Jacob DeGrom? If he wins, doesn't matter what the Braves do. You win the division. He'll be fine for the divisional series because you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off. He's on regular rest. Fine, no big deal. It's perfect. But if he loses and the Braves win, you're done. You start the playoffs in two days. Jake's not available for game one. Wouldn't be available for game two. And Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday would have to be three days rest. That's a risky proposition, right? It's risky, but we've talked about this too. Now, I know it's not the same scenario because it's not the final game of your potential season, but we've talked about this too with the, Bre- the Zach Britton effect. But you're like, not going you out. You have to go out with your best pitcher. That's the caveat. Them. No, you're not. Like, if the season's That's... on the line, <laughs> sure, but you're basically saying it's, it's a gamble. It's a very, very risky gamble. You're saying, I'm pitching my best. If I don't win, I may not have him to pitch in the postseason. Because now I'm in the wild card series and he's not available. I think most people listening would say, I'm not pitching him. <laughs> I'm just, you know what? I'll try to win the division with Carlos Carrasco. And if I don't, okay. No, dude, I'm, I'm, not, tr- I'm not trying to win with Carlos. Okay, just gonna understand. Go out and, and win the division. Understand. And Jacob DeGrom's going to win you the division. Understand this. And I'll paint you the scenario, whether it's DeGrom or Scherzer. There's then a possibility that Max Scherzer or Jacob DeGrom never pitches a postseason game in 2022. That's a scenario you can't live with. Not true. 
if you can, and again, this might not be ideal. Well, yeah, look, I mean, obviously. Potentially get him an inning or two. But you also may lose two straight games. Are you pitching him on two days rest? You think Jacob DeGrom's pitching on two days rest when he can't even throw more than 96 pitches with a regular rest or with an extra day of rest? <laughs> so, Look, so Max Max Scherzer. It's actually a weirdly <laughs> fun hypothetical. I, I, at this point, I believe it or not, I would sign up for it. I mean, get me to that final series against the Nationals with destiny in our hands. I'd sign for that because it's really tough to be that confident now. It really is. I, I have remained confident throughout this season, whether it's on Rico Bronier, whether which with Craig. Craig asked me on the air last week, "Are they going to win the division?" I was like, "Yes." He asks me that. On Thursday, Friday, I don't know what my answer is. Because right now it's shaken. And I think for all of us, why wouldn't it be shaken based on how bad things have been recently? They have had multiple three-game losing streaks in September. They barely had any three-game losing streaks all year. So the New York Mets are playing their worst baseball in September in a pennant race against the worst teams in baseball. Because let's not forget, right before this stretch began, They won two out of three against the Dodgers. And we all felt so good about ourselves, even though they weren't hitting. Like, they were struggling a little bit. They won two out of three against L.A., and they won three out of four against Colorado. And I think we all felt pretty damn good that despite the lack of offense, eh, look, we're winning anyway. Well, that's gone out the window. Five and seven against the Nationals the Pirates, the Marlins, and the Cubs. They've got four with Pittsburgh. They've got three with Milwaukee. They've got three with Oakland. They have a weird week the following week where they have an off day Monday, play Tuesday, Wednesday, off day Thursday, and then the showdown with the Braves. So I leave you with this question, and I've asked this numerous times, but I'm going to ask it again based on the way this team is playing. Would you sign up? Right now, Mets Braves in Atlanta, two weeks. Would you sign up for being tied for first place going into that series? Uh, I prefer to have a lead. <laughs> I would prefer yeah, to have I mean, a the, game the lead. The thing about yes, a game I would lead take it. that's I would take so it. much different than being tied is that if you have a game lead, All you've got to do is win one game in Atlanta. You leave Atlanta tied with the tiebreaker. So you put yourself in a spot where all you got to do is win once and you control everything coming home to face the Nationals. If you're tied for first place, you got to win the series. Because if you lose two out of three, while you may have the tiebreaker, you're a game back. And now you're asking for help from, I think the Marlins closed the season out against the Braves. So... You do put yourself in a position where you need to win the series, but I don't know. Right, this is uh, this is trouble times, bro. I don't know what to think. Ev, I, I I I don't want help from anybody. I know that's like like oh you know you need help sometimes. You guys, no no no. The Mets have to do it themselves. This is this is their season. They they put themselves in a good spot to take this division. They got to go out and win it. They can't rely on anyone else. Like, you know, we talk about this this easy stretch. We talked about 11-5 and five we're talking about. I, I said, jokingly said 13-3. and three. I was kind of half serious. 11-5 and five was what we kind of predicted. They should take this this stretch. It's it's an embarrassment, and they have to do it themselves. Because otherwise, it, I'm, I, I don't know how they're going to perform in the playoffs. They, they need to turn it around. 
Don't but do if this. I told you, Don't if I this. told you in the beginning My of least March, favorite thing in all of sports is. <laughs> but if I would have told you six months ago, you'd be uh, eighty-nine and fifty-four. Wouldn't you be happy? Well, guess what? Things change. All right, expectations change. The game has changed. Uh, we'll have another Rico Bronya after the Pirates series. God knows what kind of mood we'll be in. I would definitely say this was our most negative Rico Bronya, but you would expect that. He just got broomed by the Chicago Cubs. The hell did you want, a party? Uh, you can listen to me and Craig where he'll probably be torturing me at 2 o'clock on the fan, trying to pick at me and enjoy the tears that I'm going through. And I'm sure Hoffa will with the same thing on the midday show. Yankee fans like to drink our tears, but that's really Pete's fault because Pete was the one drinking the Yankee fans' tears. So you're getting your comeuppance. I haven't drank anybody's tears, and yet I'll just get poked because I'm Mr. Matt. And that's fine. Whatever. So Rico Bronya following the Pirate Series. Hoff with Tiki and Tierney, 10 a.m. on the fan. Me and Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. Everybody, try to relax. <laughs> Can't even say that with a straight face. Don't relax, okay? It's Panic City! We've arrived! Thanks for listening to Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.